Um, Ethan, I love muzzleloading. I know that we've been a little behind here on the podcast for the summer. Once summer hits, it feels like the events just hit and keep coming. And then it's like hunting season preparation. So I, I do apologize for the lack of interviews over the last month and a half or so here. I'm working on getting back on schedule here, but I did want to let you know that one of the projects that I have been working on is kind of podcast adjacent. So if you haven't heard um, at the Gunmakers Fair at Kempton this year for 2023, I was in attendance volunteering and filming the seminars and some of the educational presentations that were happening during the fair. Dixon's and now the Gunmakers Fair at Kempton is a great educational event where you can sit down and learn literally all day, all weekend for three days. It's an incredible time where you can see a gathering of artists and makers that are really doing some of the best work in the contemporary space right now, and you can learn from them and talk to them. And so coming out of last year's Gunmakers Fair at Kempton, one of the first things that I heard, um, you know, people hoping for, wishing for about the show was that the seminars would be recorded because when you're at the fair, it's hard to catch every single one. So that's kind of what we set out to do this year. I contacted the Gunmakers Fair at Kempton staff and the event organizers and asked if I could come out and film as many of the seminars as possible. Now, we didn't get all of them. Uh, we missed out on a bit of them on Sunday because for one, I had to drive back to Indiana to uh, go back to work on Monday, but um, we gathered a lot of them and we're releasing them online through the fall here for free. So if you're the kind of person that listens to the Isle of Muzzleloading podcast and you enjoy learning from masters really of the muzzleloading community, I just wanted to come here and let you know that there's another venue now for you to learn from and, and listen to a wide variety of muzzleloading enthusiasts, builders, artists, experts, and historians. You can find the full interviews at the Gunmakers Fair at Kempton YouTube channel. I'll have it in the show notes for this quick episode. But really, the rest of this audio episode here for you is going to be some selected clips from these presentations. Now, there's a, a little bit of a variety here, and it's not even clips from all of the presentations. I encourage you to check out the Gunmakers Fair at Kempton channel to catch more of these as we are releasing them this fall. The following selected clips come from Mitch Yates' presentation on finishing American long rifles. Dave Persons' presentation on brown bess, its history, and the accurate reproduction of the brown bess. We also have Eric Van Oswich discussing long rifle drafting. Mark Thomas talking about beginner engraving. Brian Lamaster talking about building a durable long rifle, and many, many more. I'd like to welcome you all to my gun finishing talk. Um, I always preface this talk with the statement that this is how I finish guns. Um, I'm pretty adamant about how I do it, so it, it kind of sounds like I'm criticizing other methods, and I'm really not, but uh, you know, I'm pretty set in my ways. So the methods that I use are, are what works for me, and uh, I've been teaching this class now, I think, for close to 10 years, and, and the people that have taken the class have come back to me with positive results, uh, so I think that, that my methods are, are uh, pretty good. Um, I will also admit that I am a bit of a mad scientist. I have a bit of a mad scientist approach when I'm doing this, and if 
you purchased the gun from me 10 years ago and brought me the gun and said, how did you finish this? Uh, I can tell you the steps that I probably use because I don't vary the steps, but I probably can't tell you exactly what I did. And that's because I'm constantly changing what I'm doing, finding better methods. And I like experimenting. I have a big cabinet at home, and in that cabinet, um, I'll go through today, you know, I have all kinds of different mixtures and things like that that I use when finishing guns. And, uh, you know, some of them I've pushed off to the side and I don't use anymore, and I generally don't mention those in the talks. And then I do some new things, which I will mention. Um, my primary stain that I use both on maple, curly maple, and uh, I even use it on walnut, is what we refer to as nitrate of iron stain. A lot of times you'll hear it referred to as aquafortis. And aquafortis is actually the acid that's used in, in making the stain, but uh, aquafortis is the period term for nitric acid. So when we see aquafortis in period research, we're not really sure whether they're talking about the stain or the acid. Um, a number of years ago, William Young, who... Yeah, it's a, it's a very rich history. And the history around the brown bess, you know, the things that are all in context with it, really is a rich history. It's, it's, a, it's a bit. Um, and, it's a, and what I love about it so much is it's a, such a human history. Um, it's a wonderful human history. My name's Dave Person, and... Um, I uh, do quite a bit of demos and, and uh, uh, seminars here at uh, the Gunmakers Fair. I've done this for years. Um, I'm closely associated with the American Long Rifle site, the ALR site. Uh, and on ALR, I'm known as Smart Dog. Um, and, and I'm known by my name on the Muslim Forum. Um, this is a talk I've wanted to do for a long, long time. Um, I tend to focus on British work. Uh, I love British work. But I love more than just British work. I love the British gun trade, uh, particularly in the 18th century. It's a rich history. It's a fascinating history. And um, I really have fun digging into some of the details, getting into the weeds with not just what was made, but why they were made, how they were made, and what they were made for. And um, it's, it really is a, a worthwhile endeavor to, to do some research into Brown Bess um, and the King's Musket. Um, I uh, um, am very much involved in making brown vests um, and other uh, military arms from the 18th century, um, primarily for reenactors, but also for uh, museums and uh, also for private individuals who just want to have a copy of something. Um, I uh, um, have been studying this stuff for quite a number of years, um, and I found two things that have really surprised me. One. Not so surprising, there's a great deal of mythology about the British gun trade, but also particularly the King's Musket, the Brown Bess. There's also a great deal of interest. Basically, my focus on the seminar today, I've uh, been working on guns over 30 years, uh, starting about 1985-86, and I've had the opportunity through years to do a lot of restoration. So having that, you get, the, you get afforded the opportunity to be able to take, take a lot of guns you get the opportunity to take a lot of these old antique guns apart and you also find out why they have issues, whether they're cracks, breaks, uh, sometimes structural issues that are internal that was created during the process of construction. So the focus for this seminar is actually to try to, to relay some things that we see 
that are fairly common. I've seen through the years where people will take an order for a gun and they think that for some reason, because the guy's not gonna shoot the gun very much, maybe it's, it's, he just wants it as a decorative item, they don't actually take the time to build it for the bad weather, they don't build it for horses, they don't build it for hard usage or lots of rain or snow. And you'll cut corners on it because you know the guy that's outcome that ordered it is probably not going to use it very hard. But what you see is sometimes the guns get turned down to family members to the next generation and they do want to use them. Or they go up for auction, they come up out here on the on the market again and they get used by people that really go out and want to camp in the weather, they want to hunt in the snow, and the rifles don't hold up for the long term. So my thing is, if you're going to build a rifle, it doesn't take much longer to do it right as it does to do it after. So why don't you just do it right the first time? The first part of this talk is going to be more about looking at originals. So, you know, there's a handful of originals inside. I brought down an original brown best. It doesn't have the artistry of a lot of the pieces that we like to study, but um, it's what I can grab a hold of so I can hold up. Um, there's a killer display of Jacob George rifles, I mean, eight or nine or 10 of them up there. And when I'm done talking about, uh, about dimensioning and what to study, looking at photographs and whatnot, go up there, ask politely, and take some photos, uh, and uh, uh, try to note little differences between all of these guns produced by one maker. Because that's, that comes back to kind of the, one of the closing points I want to make, which is that through all this, while I you know, designed, this is a J.P. Beck rifle uh, blended off of several originals. When I say it's blended off of several originals, uh, no two are the same. You know, there's lots of them out there. There's over 50 Schroyers that are out there by different hands within the shop, most likely but everyone's a little different. So when I'm talking about a 16th of an inch here, an eighth of an inch there, even a quarter inch somewhere, uh, what ultimately matters is that it looks pleasing to your eye and that it fits you. Uh, because you lay several next to each other, they're all really different. Um, so uh, the second part of this, of this talk will be about taking your dimensions, your, uh, your photographs, your tracing, if you've been lucky enough to take a tracing from an original, and putting it into, uh, putting it onto a piece of paper so that you can then lay that onto your expensive piece of maple, walnut, cherry, and not drill a hole in the wrong place. I'm gonna talk along with BJ Habermel, and my name is Dave Person. Um, some of you, if you're on the ALR website, I'm on there as SmartDog. Um, BJ, you're there on BJ, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and our task today is to talk about the sequence of what you do to build any kind of muzzle-loading gun. Um, we're not talking about the actual methods of doing each of these steps. That's not the point. The point is, what's the sequence? BJ and I had this conversation maybe way back in like five years ago or more. Please. Um, about noticing folks sometimes get confused when do I put my barrel lugs in? When do I drill my barrel lugs? When do I put the butt plate on? When do we put the trigger in place? 
Um, and we figured out, looking at some of the questions that come in on the AOR site and the muzzle loading forum, it looked like there were a lot of people who were confused or were unsure of how to proceed in making most muzzle loading guns. And so we decided, you know, this presentation would be on the sequencing of what you do, or at least in this case, the sequencing of what we do. Um, in my case, my Braintree Hill gun shop, which is myself and my apprentice, Maria Gray, and BJ, who also works on, he's worked for, for uh, Lepley. No, I was working with, with uh, Fred Miller. Fred Miller, Fred Miller, I'm sorry, Fred Miller, yeah. Um, so oh, we, we both have quite a bit of experience. Um, and um, these are kind of the sequences of things that work for us. And one of the things that I'll, um, I'll emphasize is that the sequence of events that you proceed with when you're building a gun can have a major effect on the quality of your work. Because one, it makes it more efficient. Two, it makes it in such a way that you don't have to go back and redo stuff. Um, and, and this is really kind of important because if you want to do crisp, clean work, oftentimes that's accomplished not just by the individual procedures and methods in cutting and sanding and scraping the wood, but also when you do it and what comes after. Um, these are important key points to, to in, in gun building. Now BJ is going, I'm going to emphasize building a, a gun from a plank of wood, a plank of wood, all right? BJ is going to talk about some of the differences you might think about when you are now dealing with um, a, a pre-carved stock, because he's had a lot of experience building from pre-carved stocks. There are some differences. There are the procedures are a little different because the pre-carved's got a lot more work done for you. Good afternoon, everybody. I'm Mark Thomas. Um, I'm here to talk about carving and engraving. <clears throat> A number of years ago, I heard a couple guys talking, I think it was Dixon's some years ago, and how they could carve, but they didn't know how to engrave. And I always found that a little bit odd, because really, carving and engraving are using basically the same tool forms, a flat, a square, and a round. In engraving, we also have a tool, it's called a nonglet and lozenge and those kind of things, but the forms really are basically the same. So what I try to do now is try to get people to believe that, get away from the mystery, get away from the fear, and learn how to sharpen your tools. That's really the key to doing each one of those techniques. But the biggest key is learning how to draw. Now, I was never taught how to draw. I've never had an art class except ninth grade. Of course, back then we played with clay and all the fun stuff that didn't really mean anything, but I got a grade. I think I passed the class. Now I wish I had. So the past couple of years, I've been doodling. Now anybody that's on Facebook may see a man by the name of Ken Hunt. Now I kind of mimicked what he's doing with his drawings with this arabesque sketch. It's a doodle. I'm not looking for perfection in what I'm drawing here as much as looking at the form. So I took this particular form, copied it, sent a picture off to a friend of mine that's wanting to study and learn how to engrave. And he's doing it on his own and he's talking to everybody that he knows that does this stuff. So when I sent him that picture, I said, look at it, 
find the problems. Not that I'm going to show you problems, but I want you to look at the design and see what you see in the positive space, in the negative space, so you can understand that scroll. And I suggest that to everybody when you're looking at drawing a scroll. That's the basis for what we do, whether you're working in jewelry, whether you're working in guns. It really doesn't matter if you're getting away from straight lines and you know, geometric shapes. You've got to have a bent line. And to start doing any engraving, you first have to know how to make a straight line. Well, a friend of mine asked me here about a month ago, he's having trouble with a straight line. I said, well, that's the easiest thing to correct. And he looked at me kind of funny, and I said, what are you using? He said, well, square, square graver. I said, well, that's easy. Extend the heel. He said, what? If you make a real short heel on your tool, it doesn't track in your cut. When you extend that heel long, now it's tracking in the cut you've already made. So the tool doesn't want to wander off that track. He goes, <laughs> this whole thing so simply explained, it's written in books everywhere, but we miss it. We're so concentrated on looking at making something work that we're forgetting the basics of it. And this is just basic physics. So what I suggest, if you're going to do straight lines and don't want a monkey with relief angles and all that sort, then make a long heel tool just for straight lines and one real short for scrolls. As I said in the beginning, if you enjoyed these selected clips, you can find the full presentations as we release them through the fall here. We already have a few out by the time that you're hearing this episode. Subscribe to the Gunmakers Ferret Kempton channel to be notified when more presentations go live. This is a volunteer effort, and if you are attending the Gunmakers Fair and you enjoy preserving or helping to preserve some of this muzzleloading culture, please reach out to me as we start to plan for next year's volunteer recording of these presentations. There are new presentations each year, so there's a lot to cover and it's always something new. Uh, so if you're handy with a video camera or want to help out, even just for a couple seminars, it would be a big help uh, for us to be able to cover as many of these presentations as we can. As we're recording this, there's a lot happening here for I Love Muslin, and we just got back from the 2023 CLA show, and uh, it's almost kind of turnkey here as I prepare to head down to the NMLRA Fall National Championships, uh, September 9th through 17th here coming up. Uh, we have a lot of videos being published to the YouTube channel. Uh, and like I said, that's taken a little bit of a priority along with the website itself, but I'm working on aligning a few more interviews here through the fall and into winter. So if there's somebody that you'd like to hear on the show, or you'd like me to reach out to somebody and interview them on the program, please don't hesitate to send me a recommendation at ilovemuzzleloading at gmail.com. I'll have a direct link to the Gunmakers Fair at Kempton YouTube channel and some more information about the seminars so you can see some of the upcoming presentations that will be coming to the web here shortly. I really can't thank each and every one of the presenters enough for their willingness to be recorded. I know that it's can, it can be nerve-wracking being in front of the camera, but um, so many of them hit it and really hit their stride, and I, I'm really excited to be sharing their knowledge uh, with you and future generations of muzzleloading enthusiasts. It's not every day that we're able to capture this amount of information and preserve it, um, so it's, it's really exciting. I, I joke a lot that if I Love Muzzleloading could just be me interviewing 
interviewing and, and documenting muzzleloading culture behind the camera, I would do it 100% of the time. Uh, but it's just really difficult, as you can uh, surmise here with the frequency of the podcast here lately. It's, it's difficult to coordinate and organize um, so much of that. But each and every one of the presenters at the Gunmakers Fair at Kempton and the Gunmakers Fair at Kempton uh, event staff were so great to work with. And I, I really appreciate that. I encourage you, if you can, uh, in your kind of local events, see if you can get involved in volunteering to film and, and document some of the things that are happening in the muzzleloading and living history communities. Um, whether it's your muzzleloading club or just a yearly local event that happens in your area, um, the more we do now to record this stuff means the less and less of it that's going to get lost over time. And that's really something that I, I'm passionate about, um, and it's something we're going to continue to work towards here at I Love Muzzleloading. That being said, if you're at the NMLRA Fall National Championships here in 2023, I should be there through the first weekend up through Tuesday. Uh, so if you're on the grounds and want to talk a little bit about muzzleloading, want to get on camera and talk about what you enjoy about muzzleloading, what you enjoy about the NMLRA, or just anything muzzleloading related, please don't hesitate to reach out to me or, or stop me on the grounds, and we'll see what we can do to get you on camera and, and share your story and, and do a little bit to promote muzzleloading in general. Thank you so much for your patience through this intermittent podcast frequency here. I'm excited to get the ball rolling again as the leaves start to turn. Once again, I'm Ethan. I love muzzleloading. Thank you so much for listening. We'll catch you next time.